listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Thanks for finding us on the NBA Beat. I'm Aaron Fishman, bringing you our in-depth Oklahoma City discussion with Marina Mondrachina, who has managed SB Nation's Welcome to Loud City blog since 2009. Marina boasts a proud collection of more than 2,000 video games, stretching from the late 70s to the present day. Her favorite system is the Virtual Boy. On the heels of the Thunder's six-game upset over the Spurs, Oklahoma City jumped out to a 3-1 lead against the mighty Warriors. Golden State roared back, of course, with two wins, including a Game 6 comeback victory in OKC. Marina helps us break down the Thunder's incredible growth, as well as what they'll need to do in Game 7 in order to advance to the NBA Finals. Take it away, Lauren. Hey Marina, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. I'm sad after that Game 6 loss, but I'm glad you had me on the program. Yeah, the Game 6 loss was devastating, and the Thunder are going to be heading into their most difficult challenge yet, going into that hostile environment of Roracle Arena with the series tied 3-3 Monday night. What do you think the primary keys to coming up with another road upset in this playoff series in a place where this season Golden State has been so dominant? Well, I think the number one key is getting more shots for Serge Ibaka and Deion Waiters. Uh, Waiters had about the same amount of shots, five or six, that Robertson and Adams had. And given his offensive abilities, I think it's just kind of an embarrassment that he's just getting so few opportunities. I, I understand that he's kind of more defensively focused at this point, but he's just got to get more shots, and Ibaka's got to get more shots too. I mean, Durant and Westbrook were just taking too many possessions, too many bad shots, and when you move the ball around more, it helps out. Uh, you got to have less bad switching on defense as well. More smart switching, you know, no Steven Adams playing Clay Thompson, no Steven Adams playing uh, Curry. You can have him switch onto maybe a small forward or a power forward, but you just can't have those like five on one switches that are so devastating and kind of what enabled Clay to get so many threes along with transition play back in game six. I don't think we can play Anthony Morrow. I think he was exploited too much on defense and he's just too much of a liability at this point. You can't get Robertson in foul trouble. He's got to play 36 minutes up there like that. He can't go down near like 30 minutes. We need that defense. And uh, don't play Steven Adams against the Warriors lineup of death. He can't play center against Green. They'll just grill him every single time. So just a lot of little adjustments like that. You know, we basically got all the pieces together. I think it's more just about putting together a a solid 48-minute basketball game at this point and having, you know, the determination. Yeah, we'll definitely return to some of those topics you brought up there. but. This season, we had two historically great regular season teams in the San Antonio Spurs and the Golden State Warriors, who both held home court advantage against OKC. And without going too much into X's and O's, were you surprised that the Thunder were able to knock off the Spurs and also take a 3-1 lead against the Warriors, who obviously won 73 games? It seemed like the basketball community had basically written in one of those two teams as a shoe into the uh, NBA Finals. 
It, it really did seem that way, but honestly, I'm an eternal optimist, and I'm a really big Thunder homer, so I thought that we could do it, but I, I do have some reasoning behind what I what I think. There was tons of personal adversity for this team in this calendar year of 2016. Mo Cheeks had to go away from the bench due to hip surgery. He's an assistant coach. The wife of Monty Williams, another assistant coach, was killed in a car accident, and Monty Williams had to leave the team. The brother of Dion Waiters, young brother, was killed in a violent shooting in Philadelphia. Aubrey McClendon, one of the 20% owner of the team, died in a single car crash. And um, in the Mavericks series, there was just a ton of emotional, kind of emotional play in that series. Lots of dirty hits from players on the Mavericks and really just taunting plays. It was just a really kind of hectic environment for this team. So you can kind of see how they all kind of rallied together and galvanized each other. So just from that emotional standpoint, plus the passion of the fans, meeting them at the airport all the time, uh, and the fact that the Thunder have been there before, and the fact that Conter, as he's integrated into the team now, provides something that we've never had before in a post-score. So I, I just think with all these factors combined, you know, kind of the coming together was a little bit improbable, but I, I really think that it was kind of foreseen from my perspective. I think it's really interesting, all those incidents that and really tragic things that happened this season that brought the guys together. A lot of those things are easy to forget about, but so many things, as you documented, one challenge on the court for this team that has been well documented are their lapses late in games it seemed like this series it might have been something that the thunder turned the corner on but it happened again in game six where we saw that late game stagnation there were too often possessions where the team just wasn't even getting a shot off has to be really frustrating and definitely inexcusable against such a great team like golden state where are they with regard to late game execution, you have to think that if they're going to steal game seven, they're going to need to do that late. I definitely agree. I, th- I think it's h- kind of harder for us just because all of the players that have been on this team uh, have been basically brought up by Scott Brooks, brought up under his system. And his system really wasn't that complex. And Billy Donovan came into this year, had to kind of integrate everything new. And they did do a good job of executing late game uh, in certain situations. But as it stands, you know, it feels like they're kind of going back to their old ways. And I can kind of understand because we started staggering lineups very recently post-trade deadline. Like we really haven't had the, the lineups together until like the very end of the season. I think that we're almost there, but we've still definitely got, you know, a long way to go before we're on another level. And that's why I think if KD stays, we could really be on a bigger level next year. Yeah, semi-related. There's been a lot of experimentation with lineups throughout the year. Royce Young wrote a really good piece on ESPN about that. It's interesting, in Billy Donovan's first year as an NBA head coach, he's tried a lot of different things. There were also quirks to the lineup that he tried, but just a little bit, and then he went away from for many months and then returned to them. He's also been really open-minded with lineups that didn't necessarily work the way he analytically looks at them later. He thinks about, (laughs) well, why didn't it work? Not just it didn't work, I'm going to go away from it, but maybe slightly differently. Talk a little bit about that and just how open-minded he's been with this and how it's worked out because they're really versatile, it seems like, the way they've been able to beat teams like the Spurs and Warriors in very different ways. Yeah, um, during the regular season... I think that uh, Billy Donovan just came to this 
coaching job with the right mindset. You know, he came in as a college coach, and a lot of times when college coaches come to the NBA, they're like, you know, I have a way, this is how it works, and this is how it's going to be done. But he really came in with an open mind and realized that he needed to learn a whole new profession from uh, entirely different people. And uh, his work ethic was amazing. He watched two seasons of Thunder basketball before he even came into the job, like literally every single game. He toned down his demeanor. He's not as intense as he was in college. You know, the, the Gators blog on SB Nation had a great article about that. And he's constantly revealing new plays. I mean, I saw new plays as recently as the playoffs. He's definitely doing that. And he toned down the complexity of his offense once the players weren't getting it. He just kind of realized what he could do. And as far as using the regular season as a lab, I mean, we saw minutes for Singler, Hustis, Nick Collison. Literally every single player that could have possibly contributed got minutes. He toned down the minutes for Westbrook and Durant during the regular season, keeping them fresh for the playoffs. He tried wacky lineups with multiple point guards, centers, all versatile lineups. And uh, he kind of gave Serge Ibaka a new role as a shooter. And he just really came in with an open mind and I think has been a real, one of the big success stories of the season as a coach. Yeah, it's exciting what he's done. All these first-year head coaches, last year it was Steve Kerr and David Blatt. Now Tyron Liu hasn't even been an NBA head coach for a full season. Now Billy Donovan is doing it in his first season. That's pretty cool to watch, I think. I want to talk about Andre Robertson now. He's had a really big role on this team's success. And it's actually not just on the defensive end, which I'm sure is a pleasant surprise for a lot of people. He's a high-energy guy. He's been grabbing offensive rebounds and getting to balls that other people aren't getting to or going for. How has he been able to contribute so much? Obviously, the biggest aspect is that the Warriors leave him wide open. But we had a player <laughs> that was left wide open back in the day, and his name was Tavo Cephalosha. And he's not really, he wasn't as effective as Roberson is being now on the offensive end. And I think that one factor is that Roberson has just been taking threes for his entire three-year NBA career. That's basically the only shot he's worked on. That kind of contributes to him hitting those open shots and then his ridiculous length and athleticism when driving to the basket. So when he's just given space and momentum and can get to the rim, he just can dunk it. So those are the when he's given space and momentum, he can dunk it and then he can hit the three. And that's basically it. Robertson's defense has really been key in stopping, for the most part, the Warriors' death lineup when the Thunder choose to go small versus small against them. But in Game 6, he got into some early foul trouble. He had five fouls with four minutes left in the third quarter. And part of that was because Billy Donovan decided to go to Hackabogut earlier on in the game, gave Robertson some of those fouls and as you mentioned before that he's definitely a guy that needs to stay out of foul trouble do you think that strategy had a role in letting the Warriors back into the game in game six because Robertson was on the bench for a lot of the time during that fourth quarter stretch when Clay really caught fire oh absolutely absolutely I mean I think that's the only reason that Morrow got extended minutes is because Robertson was out of the game and we, we really need to keep Robertson out of foul trouble. We really need to keep him in the game as long as we can just to get that defense on Clay because he's the only defender that has the length and energy to do that because other players are expending energy on offense and Dion Waiters doesn't have the kind of same length to deal with Clay. So we really, really need Robertson out there to stop Clay. Before the series, a lot of analysts compared Andre Robertson's role to maybe someone like last year when the Golden State Warriors played against the Memphis Ridleys. They were going to play Robertson similarly to how they played Tony Allen, trying to keep him off the floor by 
accentuating his offensive limitations. But I think he's he's really been able to contribute hitting those corner threes and, as you said, driving to the hoop and getting offensive rebounds despite that. So it's really important for them to keep him on the floor. Another interesting player is Dion Waiters. When the Thunder acquired him last season, I think he was a little bit of someone who is not taking that seriously. He's shown a lot of growth since then. The common joke on Twitter is that the real estate values on Waiters Island are skyrocketing right now, especially through the midway through the series. But his splits between wins and losses are really striking, especially this series. In the three wins, he's scoring almost eight points per game and shooting five for nine from three in the losses. He's just above three points per game, one for eight from three. He's one of nine in the last two games in overall field goal percentage. What's his importance to the team? And they really need him to play well to have a chance, right? Definitely. Waiters is a big uh, aspect of our success. I think he kind of had year uh, because he either took too many shots or he took too few shots. His confidence would be sky high or it'd be sky low. And I think he kind of came into his own during the playoffs because he's kind of focused primarily on defense. And that really works against the Warriors because he's a great defender in one-on-one situations because he's so low to the ground. He's so stout. He doesn't give room and can really uh, get into other players physically. I think that that's kind of what his role has been and his, his importance to the team has been. And I also think that he has a lot of confidence when he shoots. He's just, I've, beyond uh, Durant and Westbrook, I think he's the best end of game shot maker. He always, he has a really high percentage in clutch situations when he's given space. And he's just a great, he's a great scorer when he's given space. So that's kind of his uh, significance to the team. Yeah, that's a great point you made about, I think he's, probably one of the few people on the team who can really create his own shot besides Russell and KD, obviously. And that's going to play a huge role in staving off that late game stagnation where they tend to revert to just iso ball between those two superstars at the end of games. Moving on to another role player in this series, Steven Adams, obviously, has been a beast when he's on the court. He's created huge matchup problems, especially on the defensive end for a lot of the Golden State centers and along with the rest of the Thunder's long, huge front court, essentially made Festus Azili and Anderson Varejo, made those two guys essentially unplayable. He's coming up with offensive rebounds all over the place. So can you just talk about his growth through this season and into the playoffs? Yeah, I think Adam's growth has kind of come as he's kind of found more of his offensive role. I think last year he was kind of trying more post-ups. You know, they, we weren't really kind of sure how to use him on every possession. And now he just kind of just kind of carved himself into scoring on uh, offensive rebounds and in that pick and roll with Westbrook. When Adams can get in that pick and roll with Westbrook and uh, he he's just really good at, at shooting, facing the basket from like zero to eight feet. And he's really kind of perfected that niche on offense. And he's able to get that space so often because the other team has to pay so much attention to Westbrook. So he's uh, really smart about that. And defensively, he's just always been really smart about being a rim protector. And this year, his role has just kind of continued to grow in that area. I think that he's probably smarter about positioning now than he's ever been. And uh, I, I can't really point to anything specific this season on that end, but you know, it's He's continued to improve. Draymond Green is one guy that he's looked really horrible in a couple games. 
He'll usually fill the stat sheet, and he plays such an important role for the Warriors, really on both sides of the ball. Was it something that the Thunder found against Draymond Green that they can continue to exploit to a certain extent? Or did he just have two just fluky, miserable games in Oklahoma City that we're likely not to see again? I think it's honestly the latter. I think it's two fluky, miserable games that we're not able to see. I think it was kind of more of an emotional. Uh, when he kicked KD in the nether region, everybody in Oklahoma City, everybody all across the nation was up in arms. And during the game, you could see that Green was trying to pass it off. But I don't think he really liked having so much attention on him. And uh, he just kind of emotionally went crazy after that. And then the next game, uh, he had to wait the whole day to figure out if he was suspended. And he was just kind of, I heard he was just kind of in an emotional limbo. And I think that would have an effect on anybody. And then in game six, he kind of recovered. I mean, he's not doing great, but he kind of had a decent game. So I think that he's not like at his highest level against the Thunder because KD's just so long. And whenever Green has to match up against KD, it's a problem. But Green isn't matched up against KD a lot. And I think there's definitely opportunities for him to get open three-pointers. And if his shot's on, then that opens up things for him driving to the basket because he's skilled that way. I mean, Adams is a good rim protector, but he'll get... I mean, I think he'll get his in Game 7. I don't think we've had anything figured out against him. I think that was just kind of a lucky break. Yeah, I think Draymond Green was in kind of a weird headspace after the the Adams incident, the kicking, and the potential suspension looming. But also, he's just such a passionate, fiery player. And I think that that works both for him and against him. But yeah, I think that he should be fine. That's probably not going to happen again, where he makes one shot just in an entire game like that. But he also does so much for the Warriors with defense and passing and rebounding. A guy on the Thunder that has had kind of an ever-changing role throughout the playoffs, depending on the series, is Ennis Cantor. We haven't really seen a lot from him this series. Probably has to do more with the matchup. He made a significant impact against the Spurs. Where is he this season? And is that just another example of their lineup versatility, that depending on who they're playing, they can just work with what they have? Yeah, I think having different tools in your toolbox as a coach and um, a flexible lineup is really important. And Conter definitely speaks to that extremely because he's a really good scorer and he can have really gaudy stat lines, but he is really an offensive and rebounding specialist. I think whether you can have Conter on the floor kind of depends who he can deal with defensively. Uh, Teams with good shooting bigs or a good pick and roll scorer can kind of neutralize him by scoring against him on the other end. So you got to figure that out and... The Warriors have good shooting bigs, and they've got great pick-and-roll scorers, so that, that's why it's hard to play him. But, uh, you know, on offense, you use him if he can bully his opponent out of the way. Uh, you kind of give him possessions on the block, and if he can't, then you give him more jump shots. But he's always a good rebounder. I'm curious your thoughts on this. People around the league have been trying to, to pry Kevin Durant away for a long time, and people have also, realistic or not, been talking about Russell Westbrook leaving this obviously is very good, the, the postseason success that the Thunder have had for their chances of keeping both guys around. To what extent do you think the likelihood of both of them staying would have been markedly different if they couldn't get past San Antonio? So if they didn't get past San Antonio, I, yeah. think, it's, I think that would have been such, I think it might have shown that OKC was on a lower level. But I think that the thing that keeps KD away in that situation is that he's kind of afraid of going home to all the friends he never knew he had. 
he's kind of talked about the stresses of every time the Thunder play in Washington. He's got to buy hundreds of tickets for people that he barely knows anymore. And he spent his entire adult life in Oklahoma City. So I think that kind of keeps him away from going back to Washington specifically. But it might have shown that OKC was on a lower level. And if OKC was on really a lower level than the Spurs and the Warriors, then that might convince him to move. But I think now that we've kind of proved that even if we lose Game 7, we're on a competitive level with the Warriors and the Spurs that he'll stay. You make such a good point about people always bring up these stars want to return home. And a lot of the time, that's not actually the case. There's a lot more pressure for these guys if they're playing at home. There's a lot of friends, quote unquote, that come out of the woodwork that, you know, want you to have some sort of connection with them. But returning back to the series, you mentioned in the first question that you want to see a bigger role for Serge Ibaka in Game 7 if if they want to have a chance to win. What does that bigger role entail for him, and how do the Thunder use him most effectively in tandem with their two stars? Well, he is obviously the most, uh, sorry, not obviously, but the most possessions you should give to him are the ones where he's just kind of off the ball and the Warrior defense has forgotten about him on a Westbrook drive, and then he's open for a corner three, a wing three. And if you want to get him in the mid-range and kind of get him involved, uh, when he's playing center, you got to use him in the pick and roll a lot because when he's playing center, the Warriors aren't going to have a center that can match up against him really well so he can get into the paint. And then when he's playing power forward, you got to go to that pick and pop. Not because it's super effective because, you know, sometimes it gets picked off. It's not as effective as Westbrook in the pick and roll with Adams. But when Westbrook gets in the pick and pop with Ibaka, it gets Ibaka involved, keeps him in the game, and the Thunder offense doesn't forget about him. So I think that although using him in all those plays is going to be important. And finally, I think the Thunder, being as they were the number one rebounding team in the regular season and the playoffs, they're obviously one of the few teams in the league without looking too far ahead that can match up with Cleveland's size running their two big lineup. Do you think that works in their favor should they get past the Warriors in Game 7? And before you go, can you give us your prediction about what's going to happen in that Game 7? I I think that definitely our good rebounding and the presence of Contour will really work wonders for us against the Cavaliers. But I really think that the Cavaliers series just comes down to how well KD and LeBron match up. And we just haven't seen a lot of KD-LeBron matchups over the past couple of years. So that'll be extremely interesting. But my prediction for Game 7 is that I think the Thunder are going to be able to take it. I think that they've just been too competitive with this Warriors team. I think that they just have too many counters for what the Warriors have to offer. And I don't think, you know, Roberson's going to be in foul trouble. I don't think we can forget about Ibaka and Warriors forever. I mean, the wins in Game 3 and 4 were so convincing that I, I really think that we've got a strong chance going into Game 7. Marina, as you said, you're always the optimist. I hope for the Thunder sake <laughs> that it works out well for you guys. And good luck in Game 7. And thank you again for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on. 